Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. Point Noted Podcast. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm your host, Johnny B. On today's show, we going back to USC, to the Octagon. And we have uh, from TSN Sport, USC reporter, Aaron Bronsted on the show. Aaron, how are you, my man? I'm good, Johnny, but I'm a little disappointed. Your your co-host decided not to show. I wasn't big enough, so he's big-timing me and not showing up for the podcast. Honestly, he needs to hear it. That's what he does, man. He's big-timing me. He won't even come on the show with me. <laughs> well, I'm a big Albany Great Danes fan, and now I'm disappointed because I was hoping to speak to a, a member of the, uh, the football team. I, I love their logo, and whenever I used right. to play, uh, I think it was, uh, what was the NCAA basketball game for uh, that uh, 2K Sports used to do? I used to always start with the Albany Great Danes because that was one of the, the uh-huh. choices that you could have. Yeah, it's a great name. School's a great name. I don't live too far from there right now. Um, so it's definitely a, a great campus, but uh, Rashad has been boo so far. So uh, we're definitely going to, in every chance we get, we're going to make fun of him for not being here. <laughs> I've got to get out there to Albany. I've been to Rochester. I've driven through Syracuse before. I've been to Rochester and Buffalo, but I haven't gone to Albany or or gotten to stay in Syracuse for any any prolonged amount of time, but I'd love to get out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Come on down. I'm out here. Um, uh, we can... Uh, what sports do we have out here to watch? I don't even know, but I'm sure we can find something to do. I got to open up uh, the borders first. I can't. I can't just drive there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not getting open anytime soon, right? <laughs> it doesn't look like it. Not anytime soon, because what are your? You in Toronto? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. Yeah, how's the COVID? How's the COVID out there? It's going great, actually. Uh, today we had uh, we had zero deaths reported yesterday, and we had the second lowest tally that we've had since like April or something. I think it was 112 or 102 cases, something like that. Very uh, low number. And it's, it's trending in the right direction for sure. Wow. That's great. Now we can't say the same by, you know, the States is the number seems to be going up. Well, New York's uh, doing well though. I looked at New York yesterday and it's amazing how, uh, how well New York state has been doing of late. Well, because we're going through this phase and we're actually sticking with it. Right. So we're going through this phase where you're limited on what you can do and who can be out there. Um, and I think it helps. So I guess, you know, the real the real thing would be when we actually go full, you know, full open, right? When everything can go back out there and just be full normal, then what happens to the number? It's going to go up, right? But it, I guess the point is how much would it go up? Yeah, well, I think right. one of the things is they're starting to, I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, but they're starting to really train people's behaviors to, to right. just, you know, wear a mask in, in uh, indoor spaces and keep right. keep a distance. And people are starting to get acclimated to that because the research is getting better and better by the day. So, you know, hopefully that uh, when things do open up, that's, you know, something that people will, uh, will adhere to. Yeah. And I, and I saw a story online where I think it was a, it was some a girl on social media that said uh, a brother had COVID and they stayed in the same house the whole time. And he wasn't really quarantined to be by himself, but she kept the mask around, you know, every time, you know, they were next to each other and she didn't contract COVID. Uh, and she tested twice and it was all negative. So, I mean, the mask do work. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's a good idea. We just got to get people to start wearing it. So, Absolutely. Think, yeah. You know, it's pretty uncomfortable, but to save lives, right? We have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's if people want to have you know freedoms or whatever. I guess you know the freedom to live without worrying about contracting a a virus seems to be have a more important freedom than you know not not wearing a mask. But that's my opinion. I I don't want to you know get too political. 
on the show because you know that's ne- that's never oh. uh, a good look from a Canadian <laughs> to discuss American politics. I always am the bad guy when that happens. Oh my god! Listen, in America, yeah, that is definitely number one. Uh, that's that's a that's like the easiest way to start a fight in the states. Just talk about politics. It doesn't matter. Like I have a buddy of mine, and he's gonna listen to this podcast, and he's gonna call me and be like, "Why? Why are you pull me out?" Listen, I have a buddy of mine for over twenty years, and uh, and I know we're different. You know what we think. You know the way uh, life should be structured and politics wise. But man, did he amaze me with this whole crazy thing going on? Somebody thinks this man was telling me. I was like, "Bro, we've been friends for like twenty something years. I didn't know you were this nuts." <laughs> You know, know, people go online and they learn all kinds of things. And for whatever reason, they can change people's ideologies. But I I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's why they say keep politics out of everything, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's it's kind of part of our being, right? Like everybody's everybody is political, whether it's, you know, government, government politics, politics in the workplace, politics in your in your household. Right. I mean, politics is a part of life regardless. It's impossible to ignore. Right. We don't want to lose our job talking politics. So we, we will go ahead and move on. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so you do cover the MMA, uh, Aaron. So how would you get into MMA? Uh, well, I've always been uh, really into MMA. Uh, basically, I was really into basketball. I wanted to be a basketball play-by-play guy. That's what my my dream was when I was in college. And nice. uh, I ended up getting a job as a producer um, for a serious XM radio show that uh, where, where the host ended up being really into the UFC at the time. And this was probably back in like 2008. Uh, uh-huh. So about 12, 13 years ago. And uh, I, I just really fell in love with the sport and started to really watch it closely. And it, it kind of took over as my favorite sport over time. And uh, when I was working at TSN, TSN eventually got the rights to the UFC. And I kept talking to my boss, you know, we've got to send someone. We've got to, we've got to cover this better. You know, we're starting to get big stars are coming up like Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey. And uh, eventually my boss just said, well, you should do it. You, you know more about the sport than anyone here you're really passionate about it. Let's figure this out. And it's kind of, you know, uh, snowballed from there. Do you remember the, uh, the first couple of fights that you saw that actually, uh, liked you in the first ones that I was at in person? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first one I covered actually was UFC 205. Um, and I covered that more, more as a producer, but, uh, that was the Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez, the first fight in New York. Uh, and there was, uh, what a great night that was. Um, right. And then from there, I, I've been covering it as the reporter, and uh, I've, I've gotten to just cover so many different events that were so memorable. Yeah, I mean, typically I'm in the back, so I'm watching the event the same way as everybody else. I'm watching it on a TV. I just so happen to have the fighters coming to the back to talk to me right afterwards. But for the most right. part, my experience watching the actual events are pretty similar to those at home. Uh, the one okay. exception that I had was McGregor versus Mayweather. Because I wasn't covering that in the back because we weren't uh, rights holders for that particular event. So I actually sat in the stands and just watched it. The, you know, the, the boxing analyst that we had for that event and the uh, MMA analyst, they covered it uh, more in terms of on the day of the event. They covered it more on site uh, from an on-camera perspective. And on that particular day, there wasn't much for me to do that, that day other than to file a story. So I watched it just sitting in a seat like, like a fan. And that was a really cool right. experience because it was such a spectacle. And I was also right. really blown away by how in boxing, nobody shows up until the main event. Like the, the arena was just empty for hours and hours. And I was sitting there watching <laughs> boxing matches with people I had never heard of before. Cause I don't cover right. boxing. And then suddenly I was like, where is everybody? And then suddenly right. once, once uh, the co the co-main event hit uh, with Badu Jack, then people started to come in. But then by the time right. the main event went, of course it's full, but it, it, it just amazed me because in MMA, there's so many people there there for the very first fight of the night. 
I think that's right. one of the, the big differentiators between the two. Yeah, and I think, you know, because in the MMA, you can get that knockout. You get that exciting, you know, uh, result that can happen. So you want to be there for it. It doesn't matter who's fighting. Anybody can get knocked out, and you know it excites fans. So, uh, but in boxing, you want to see the top guys. Like, look, I don't want to watch these guys. I want to watch the top fight. Um, when you were there for that fight, though, how was that? What What did you think about that fight with Conor being out there with Mayweather? I'm a big Mayweather fan. I just love the way he boxes because I think it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, what did you think about that fight? Well, the crazy thing about that fight is I was looking at the odds. And when before the fight started, you could get Mayweather at minus 250. So let, let me put this into context here because okay. McGregor has never boxed professionally before this. And right. against... Um, who did he fight? Who did Mayweather fight before he fought Connor? His previous fight, it was um, Andre Ward. Uh, Andre Ward. Yeah. So, so when he was facing, um, was it Andre Ward or was the other Andre? Who the Andre Durrell? No, Andre Ward. So, so when he fought no, Andre he Ward, has to be, yeah, really, yeah. did he fight Ward? Well, regardless, who, whoever he fought before he fought right. uh, May, uh, McGregor, he was a tenth. He was a minus one thousand favorite, and I'm thinking. So that's against one of the best boxers in the world. He's a minus 1,000 favorite. And against the guy who has never boxed professionally, he's only a minus 250 favorite. So like, that's just, I was like, I, I called my wife. I was like, we should take out a second mortgage and just bet it on Mayweather. <laughs> like, it, makes, it just does not make any sense that those right. are the odds. Um, it's not that I didn't think McGregor, McGregor had a puncher's chance of winning. Who knows? He's a bigger guy than, than Mayweather. But none of that really matters. I mean, it's technique. And when it comes to technique, Mayweather, I think, is one of the, I mean, of this generation, he's by far the best. So, I, you know, that, that was what surprised me about that is how close it was. And then when Connor was having a little bit of success early, it was cool to be in the crowd because people were going crazy. But, right. uh, you know, a lot of people who cover boxing say that Mayweather was leading him and trying to, like, make the fight exciting, which I can believe because when you're that good at boxing, you're that well-versed, you can kind of just do, you can dictate the pace of the fight. You can do whatever. Right. And the, right. the other funny thing about it is uh, if you look at the scorecards, the scorecards are obviously public information. There was a judge who gave mcgregor more rounds against mayweather than he gave pacquiao against mayweather the same judge so in the eyes of a judge mcgregor won more rounds against mayweather than pacquiao did which is just when you think about that that's crazy well i guess you know when i hear it i'm thinking you got to drug test that uh that judge Uh, (laughs) you have to uh that's one and for two obviously mayweather took pacquiao a lot more serious uh than indeed connor so uh, and connor did a beautiful job of getting that fight man I, i don't care what anybody said for you to be an MMA fighter, never fought boxing before, and you're able to make that fight happen, that's a lot. Of that. I mean, that's a lot to get done. And you got nothing to lose either. And, and he wasn't even knocked down in the fight by one of the greatest boxers. Like, you you can say that McGregor had a great night that night, even though he lost basically. From, right. You know, he, he won a round or two or whatever on the on some judges' scorecards, and a lot of the fans right. were behind him and all that. But there was no losing for him that night. He was going to get paid a ton of money. And no matter what happened, you know, even if he got knocked out in the first 30 seconds, for him to, like you said, be able to get that fight and be able to get promote that, that fight, fight the way that right. it was promoted. It's, it's just, it, it became one of the biggest sporting events of our time. Right, right. And speaking of Conor, though, like, I always appreciate guys that get things done, especially that other people can't do or out of the ordinary. Like, what he's been able to do, I mean, every time he fights, he's obviously he's a showstopper. Right? Everybody wants to see it. He's entertaining. He's all of that. I mean, just talk about Conor for a second. Like, I mean, is there anybody else out there that can just come out and bring the crowd out and, you know, just have so much success even off the um, outside the octagon? And the answer is really no. And when you look at the UFC, um, it's been around for 25 plus years. How many real stars have there been in the sport? Like really transcendent stars. And I'd argue you could right. probably count them on one hand. And you got right. Ronda Rousey, 
I think I think GSP is is I'm not sure how much GSP crossed over much. I mean, he was in that Captain America movie, but right. you, you got Ronda, you got George St. Pierre. Those are like the two that really stand out in terms uh-huh. of real crossover success. Uh, Chuck Liddell, I think at, at a time was was kind of a, one of these guys that where yep, if you saw him, face. you knew who he was. Yeah, um, the face. I, yep. I think he's kind of one of those names. Uh, Brock Lesnar obviously was a massive name because he crossed over from the wrestling world. I think. Uh, but I think that really the, the only real three superstars in the history of the sport would be Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, and Connor. And, and I think, right. I mean, and the thing about um, Connor is that he didn't really have anything unique going for him aside from being from Ireland. He was a, you know, a male fighter right. in an established weight class. You know, Ronda was the first kind of the pioneer of women's mixed martial arts along with Gina Carano. Right. But, you know, uh-huh. Carano was, by the time women came to UFC, Carano was kind of out. Uh, she was already acting. So, I mean, her unique selling proposal was that she was female. She was the first great female fighter. Lesnar right. came from wrestling. He was a WWF champion. So he, uh, or WWE champion, wherever you want to call it, probably both. Um, and, uh, you know, he had that kind of uh, marketing value. And Connor was just a guy that came up. He came up through the, you know, the regional scene in the UK. So that's kind of what makes him a special athlete is that he was able to get this kind of star following uh, just by the essence of his character, by how he fought, by calling his shots, by being able to win uh, fights against guys where people thought that he was going to lose, beating Aldo in 13 seconds. Like he he manifested his own success. Whereas right. I think Ronda and Brock Lesnar happened to be kind of right place, right time situations. Right. And kind of, like you say, he's just talk and he back it up. And, and the one thing about America, and I'm not sure, probably the same thing all over the world, is if you can talk, they might hate you. But once you start actually making it happen and support what you're talking about, like you get more fan base. And I feel like when Connor started talking, um, and, and I hear guys say maybe that's what uh Usman is missing, is it's not entertaining. It's no one really cared to watch him fight except for like hardcore UFC fights. Uh I mean, do you buy that? About Usman? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah, again, about I, Usman. I think they're saying I he's think... kind of a boring fighter. They're saying he doesn't really get you to wanna, you know, pay for a fight and go watch him fight. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because the the comparison that I make to him is GSP. I think him and GSP have a lot in common. And GSP was somebody mm. who filled up an entire stadium, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that uh, Usman is a phenomenal fighter. But then, we again, we just talk about the crossover success of certain stars in the UFC. And, like, I think Masvidal, if you look at the numbers from that last pay-per-view, like, that was a big draw. And I think that a lot of that was attributed to Masvidal. Absolutely. Um, but I think just Usman is such a dominant fighter. And the way right. that he dominates people is, is just not eye candy sometimes for people. You know, people don't really like the kind of wrestling style. But, uh, you know, his fight with Covington was all stand-up and it was an exciting fight. And yeah, I think cool. Usman is a really, uh, just a really good person, a good a good uh, person to have in the sport. He's, uh, right. he's, you know, just a very, um, a very smart, uh, in terms of fight, fight IQ, he's up there with anybody in the UFC. Right. And he's, he's just a very down-to-earth guy too. Like just from whenever I've interviewed him, um, he's just a very easy guy to talk to, which I think is good. But um, the problem is, I think that he sees that kind of Connor model when it comes to trash talk, and he kind of tries to emulate it because he sees that that's been a model for success for other people, and, and you right. want to try to maximize your earnings in the UFC. But, you know, for him, I just think that when he if he just keeps winning and winning and winning, that success kind of comes, you know, into its own. And I think that right. uh, he that he's going to have that success because I do think he's better than everybody else in the division. And I think he's been proving that time and time again. Right. I mean, I think uh, I think John Jones was kind of similar, though, right? Not not a lot of trash talking. You just get out there, get your job done, and then wait for the next one. And the thing uh, Jones had going for him, though, is he got he had so much success when he was really young. Like he, he right. was the youngest champion of all time. So when you have that, again, you get kind of a unique selling proposal that people are interested in. 
Usman became a champion kind of late in his, like, I guess he's in his early 30s, right? So he didn't even have that. But I, I do think that, you know, one thing about the UFC is people want exciting fights. But if you're Usman, are you going to try to put on an exciting fight with Masvidal at the risk of getting knocked out and losing your title? Right. Or are you going to win by yeah. any means necessary? Like, I, I think exactly. that you have to respect fighters that are willing to just be themselves, win by any means necessary. Right. But that doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, mean that they're going to be these crossover stars. I mean, it's just right. hard to be a crossover star. So I think your best bet is to just win and win dominantly. And that's what he does. Right. And so like Mayweather, right? Folks want to see him fight just so they can see him lose because they just can't stand him no more. Because uh, everybody, oh, Mayweather's a boring fighter. Or he just standing there and runs away and all of that. But when he's fighting, everybody's buying it so they can see it. So I think Usman can obviously play along that line and say, hey, I'm going to keep winning. Uh, and y'all going to keep watching because you want to see me lose, but it's not going to happen. Because uh, I'm just going to stick to my style and just keep winning. Um, and, you know, speaking of some of the legends, right? So uh, Ronda Rousey, what happened to her? Because I, I felt like what happened was as uh, soon as somebody can stand up to her and actually hit her, she just lost it. Uh, am I wrong in, in that in that opinion? Am I wrong? Well, I think it's a, a couple of things. And I think a couple of things caught up to her. Number one, the game caught up to her. I think people eventually, once the training got better, they figured out how they could beat her. And then once, once that formula was kind of set, I think that anybody really could have uh, had success against her. I mean, she still could right. have beaten them on any given day. But then also the pressure, the pressure of being champion and, and the pressure of handling a loss the right way. She didn't handle that loss well. She still hasn't handled it well. She still hasn't talked about it, really, either of those right. losses. So I think that she hmm. just ended up not being able to handle that that defeat. That loss to Holly Holm just derailed her mentally. It derailed her uh, in sport. And she had a lot of injuries. I mean, people don't don't talk about how she fought through injuries for, for much of her career. And uh, I just think that eventually it came to a point where she knew she couldn't do what she was able to do in the past because the, you know, the women's MMA had just evolved to a point right. where everybody kind of caught up. And uh, you could kind of see that in the Misha Tate fight when she beat Misha Tate the second time. Then Misha was kind of kept making gains right. towards Ronda. And then once Holm came in, Holm was just much bigger than her. She was accustomed to fighting smaller women, women that could have probably made 125 pounds. Uh, uh -huh. They were on the smaller side of bantamweight, whereas Holm was a really big bantamweight. Wasn't able to take Holm down. And then Holm, right. because of her boxing pedigree and her striking pedigree, was just able to pick her apart. And that can happen on any given day. And it's just how right. you handle your losses is what will define you as a fighter. And she handled her losses badly, and everybody kind of turned on her. Yeah. No, I mean, I, mean, I, I agree with that. You know, and when I watched it, I just felt like once somebody hit her, uh, she just lost composure. She was just kind of scared again. Like, oh, here we go again. Or oh, what am I supposed to do now? And I was kind of like shocking to see that because uh, there she was. We felt like she was untouchable. And all of a sudden, I think it was Nunez that first came and stopped putting their hands on her. And it just changed everything. Like you said, she just didn't handle it very well. But uh, what was wrong with her? You said she was injured. What what kind of injury did she have? I mean, did she have a fight? If she was hurt, she could have just wait. Yeah, well, I mean, she, she didn't want to wait because she knew she wanted to strike when the iron was hot and they were offering her a lot of money. But it's just lingering injuries, like lingering injuries from her judo days that uh, I think her knees were starting to really fail her, her hips. Mm. You know, the kind of things that, that would get injured from having a successful judo career. I can't remember the exact injuries, that, but I just remember her talking about how she was fighting through injuries pretty much all the time. It's a, you know, in her right. book, she talked about that too. And uh, that loss to Nunez really, if you watch it again, it's, it's one of the worst losses you'll see. Like she, she looked like a punching bag, basically. She wouldn't go right, down. Right. And Nunez just kept hitting her and hitting her and hitting her. Right. And when you experience that as a fighter, it's hard to come back from that. Like, you know, even if she would have taken another fight, then what? Like, she's going to get back in there with Nunez. That's the end goal. I think she walked right. away at the right time, to be honest. Like, I think, you know, her reputation had taken a hit for sure. 
but I still think that she's revered in terms of all time in terms of women women's MMA. Like I still I still think she's going to be considered a pioneer of the sport and one of the best to ever do it, regardless of how Absolutely. her career ended. Absolutely. Um, go back to the uh, Masvidal and um, Kuzman's Kuzman's uh, fight. Um, if that happened again, do we see a different result? Does it get closer than that, or is it just going to be another uh, unanimous decision? I think it would go exactly the same way. That's how I thought that fight was always going to go. And um, it's no disrespect to Masvidal. I think Masvidal is a fantastic mixed martial artist. But I think that if there's somebody who takes him down, gets him out of his game plan on the feet, he's lost those fights. He's lost those fights in the past. He lost to Demian Maya that way. Right. And Demian Maya got a little bit tired and Masvidal had some success late in that fight. But I think that Masvidal would be able to last a little bit longer. He'd be able to be a little bit sharper longer than he was in that fight. But uh, I just think that Usman is is a, a different kind of fighter. I think Usman honestly is one of these guys that can beat anybody that they throw at him right now. I, I just don't see anybody really, I think Covington who he, who he beat and knocked out in the fifth is probably the closest that you'll get to somebody who could probably beat him on, on, on the right night. But okay. I, I just don't think that anybody else in that division has that kind of talent. So what do Covington have to do to get that rematch? He has to win. <laughs> I mean, he has to take another fight and he has to win, right? Covington's <laughs> a great fighter. Yeah. He really is. He's a, he's a right. really... Him and Usman are actually extremely similar. Like, if you look at their statistics, they're very similar. If you look at their uh -huh. styles, they're very similar. Uh, I mean, if you look at them outside of the cage, they couldn't be more different. But inside the cage, I think that they have uh, a lot of common ground. And I think that uh, if Covington can continue working on his striking and making gains in that department, the next time they fight, I think the fight's going to play out the same way. I think it'll take place on the feet. The wrestling will kind of offset. And right. um, I think that you'll see a, another fight just like that. And, and Covington can have a success in a fight like that if he, if he short, you know, strengthens his striking. Right, right. Hey, uh, I was listening to your podcast, and I love it, by the way. Um, well, thank I, you. I love listening to podcasts. Um, and then I, you know, started listening to yours. And I was like, man, I'm going to start listening to this after every uh, before and after every fight, right? And listen to my friends that claim to be UFC experts. Uh, and every weekend, I lose money listening to them. I put the money in fighters that they pick. <laughs> um, but I know one of the things you were talking about was uh, the judges, right? Like, you know, you really don't like the way they score the fights. Um, so how can that be fixed? And, you know, for those who didn't get a chance to listen to that, what is the problem with the judging? Well, the problem is you're trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. You're taking the boxing scoring criteria, which is, is for a nine or 12 round fight, and you're putting it into a three round fight or a five round fight. And it just right. doesn't work from a math standpoint. You're never going to get it right. Because the scoring criteria, it just doesn't have enough elements to it. It doesn't have enough room, for, you know, it doesn't have enough room to move, really. Because if you have a guy that wins a round very clearly, like it's a clear 10-9 round, and then right. you have two more close rounds that the other guy kind of edges out, people are always going to think the other person got robbed because they had one great round. So right. what I've always said is I like a half-point system. I think a half-point system would solve a lot of these issues. And really all you're doing is you're introducing decimals into it. You're saying, or you can make it a 20-point system if you wanted to, but I think just people are so used to the 10-9 system that you could just right. add decimals to it and make it better. So, for example, the Holloway fight. I think that if you watch that Max Holloway fight again, those first two rounds would have been 10 to 8.5 for Holloway. The right. third round would have been 10 to 9.5 for Volkanovski, 10 to 9 for Volkanovski, and then 10 to 9.5 for Volkanovski. And it would have been a draw. Something along. I think, it, right. I think it works out to be a draw. And I think that's a better result than the one that we got, because I think it's a more accurate result. I think that you right. can still say Volkanovski won three of those five rounds, but that Max did a, did better in those first two rounds. Right. Um, I and I, I just think that with a 10-9 system, you're always going to have situations where people are going to look at somebody totally bloodied up at the end of a fight 
and that person's going to win because they won more rounds and they're going to feel like the other person got robbed. So that's how I would fix it personally. I think that's probably the, uh, a way that would make sense. Um, a lot of people say maybe have five judges, but I still think that it, with that 10-9 system, it's the system that's the problem, not the judges per se. There certainly are issues with judging in MMA that need to be fixed. I think a lot of the judges aren't qualified, and a lot of them are just brought over from boxing because they, they're licensed by certain commissions. Right. Um, so, And there's also a lot of, um, with local fighters, there's always a potential conflict of interest because right. MMA is a small circle in different cities. And I, I had pointed that out in February when they were in Houston. There was a fighter. Uh, there was a, a fighter that had earned his black belt from um, some, from his coach, who had also coached one of the judges and gave them their black belt. So they're part of the same lineage in martial arts. So there's oh, a bias. There's a there's a conflict right. of interest there. You can't judge a fight Absolutely. without disclosing that there's a conflict of interest. And I think that that is something that can be easily avoided. Something that I was able to figure out relatively quickly with very little research. That there right. were, were was an issue there, Conflict. right? Yeah. So if yeah. I'm able to figure that out, why can't the commission, right? So these are these are things with judging that I think can be uh, can be fixed uh, in in a relatively uh, expeditious manner as long as everybody got on the, on the right page. Right. Can former players, uh, former fighters, be judges? Can they like GSP? I'm a big fan of GSP, by the way, my favorite fighter. Um, can someone like that be brought back to be a judge or? Obviously, you can't judge if a fight uh, if a fighter is out of his camp. But can can guys like that come back, like a Randy Couture type of guys, come back and be judges? Can well, let me ask you. Fight? Let me ask you a question. If you're George St. Pierre and you're offered three hundred dollars to come back and judge, or you're offered to go to a bar for an appearance and make thirty thousand dollars, which are you going to choose? <laughs> right. So, a lot of the people that that do judging are people that uh, that aren't in that kind of situation. I mean, we've seen like Ricardo Almeida, for example. Uh, former UFC fighter, he judges in certain um, jurisdictions. He has a judging license and he's done that. Frank Craig, who actually fought right. George St. Pierre, is a referee now. Like there are fighters, I don't think fighters the caliber of a Randy Couture or a GSP that it would benefit them to come back and, and judge. But I think a lot of people exactly. that have practiced in, or even competed in the UFC could come back and be a, a very viable judge or referee. And I'd like to see more of that. Uh, but like you said, there's also the, the potential for more conflict of interest in that way. Wait, so it's $300 per fight for the judges? Something like that. It's a very. It's not a lot of money. You don't get much money to judge or referee a fight. It's. Um, I, I'm sure it's public information, but it's not. It's not much. Oh, but the judges you get travel to judge. and your accommodations and stuff paid for. But on the right. actual night, I don't think you make much. It's probably. I think it would be under a thousand dollars. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so GSP, go ahead and you know, do the other thing and get that thirty grand. Yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> show show up at, at at Buffalo Wild Wings and say kiss some babies, shake some hands, make thirty thousand yeah. dollars and go home. My goodness, and enjoy yourself man. while you're at it. Yeah. Don't have people call you an man. idiot on Twitter because you gave someone a ten nine round. Right. Don't get murder on Twitter, man. And I love GSP. I and everybody keep calling to come back and fight. And I don't know why. As soon as somebody yeah, can't fight, they can't figure out where to fight. They start asking GSP to come out. Like the dude's got to be over forty of it. Like let let him just be. Yeah, and and uh, they asked him if he wants to fight Usman this week, and he said, "No, I'm, I'm happy to stay retired." And then Usman's gonna come out and be like, "GSP is ducking me." It's like, no, right, of course. He, he's retired. <laughs> he's ducking he's retired. everybody. He doesn't want to fight. He's, 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 not, he's and, ducking competition. And not, <laughs> right, and that's not a fight that GSP wants anyway. I don't think he has. You know, he's not gonna win that fight, is it? Can he? Maybe he could, but I just don't think that it's a fight that would. He he wants to. He wants legacy fights, and there's like it's not going to improve his legacy if he comes back and wins right. the championship that he used to have. He wants to fight Khabib, like that. That's the one fight he says he'd come back for is Khabib. Really? Yeah, but uh, wow. I mean, right Too now well. the lightweight lightweight division is pretty crowded, and I I don't think Dana White wants 
uh, there to be a title offense for GSP to win a title and never defend it. Although GSP has said he would take that fight with no title on the line. So right. I, don't, I don't know. Wow. What do you think about that fight? Like Khabib is an animal wrestling. I'm not sure. Like, I know GSP is a great wrestler as well, but ooh, I would definitely want to see that. What do you think about that fight? <laughs> it's hard to know, right? It's hard to know what GSP would look like now, right? We're how many years removed from his last fight? Two plus years. So yeah. uh, he looked great in that fight against Bisping. And GSP is the type of guy that would get up for a challenge for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, if that fight was contested at like 165 pounds or something, I think that would be interesting yeah. because that's more close. That's closer to GSP's weight class. Um, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, Khabib grew up wrestling bears. I, I, I just don't see, I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I asked I mean, Dana White. I said, why, why don't you make this fight happen at 165 pounds? And he, he got angry with me. He goes, why is everybody obsessed with 165 pounds? I go, it can be 162 pounds. It's, it doesn't need to be 165 pounds. It's not a division. Right. It's just it's a one-off <laughs> fight. It's an exhibition. I'm sorry I said 165, but any any weight, it can just be a catch weight of any sort. But uh, I understand why they don't want to do that. They want to keep the division going. So we'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, UFC is doing great. Like, you know, like, I mean, I, I've always watched the fight, but having it on twice a week has been amazing, especially since we have nothing else to watch. I mean, I'm a big basketball, soccer, and I watch everything. And having UFC on with this old fight island, it's been, it's been great. And supposedly this is the last one this weekend that they're having? The last Fight Island card, yeah. But then there's a lot more coming in, in August and September and October. You're going to have the Dana White Contender Series. It's it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of MMA in the next three months. A lot. Right. Well, I mean, assuming that COVID kind of chills out a little bit, right? Because if COVID keep spiking up, they might have to go back to that Fight Island. I think they're going to. I think they're planning to actually in uh, in September. Oh, then that would be great. I mean, yeah. we, can, we, we can use more Fight on TV. Dana White did an interview in Abu Dhabi, I think it was two weeks ago or last week, saying that he thinks that during COVID, that Abu Dhabi could become the fight capital of the world. Like they, they, they don't know what the future holds for Nevada. They might shut everything back down again in Nevada because the numbers are spiking, right? So Abu Dhabi might be their best bet if they just keep holding fights there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Kamzat is back fighting again this weekend. That man just fought like two weeks ago. Um, and there's a lot of good fights this weekend. Who do you have this weekend? What are your thoughts on this fight coming up? And he fought eight days ago. It's pretty unbelievable. It's going to be a 10 days <laughs> between fights for he him. Barely, he barely got hit, so I can... I can. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, got, he absorbed three strikes in that fight. One significant strike. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, so he's back. He's fighting in his, in his proper weight class at 170 pounds. Um, against a guy who's pretty good. Recently, he's not bad, but recently, he's a natural lightweight. We just saw... Uh, Chimaya fight at 185 pounds, but this guy looks like the real deal, man. He's relentless. Yeah. He's he reminds me of Khabib. I mean, that's what that's the comparisons people are making, and that's how he fights. He's he's like a more aggressive Khabib. He's just right. he's all over his opponent for the full fight. But uh, let's see him fight bigger names down the line, yeah. and we'll see how good he right. is. But I I mean, it's hard to compare people to Khabib. Khabib's the most dominant fighter in UFC history. So you know, let, let's see. But I, I don't think he's going to have any problems with this particular bout. He's a minus 1,200 favorite, which is, uh, I don't know if there's been a more than a minus 1,000 favorite in the UFC this year, but uh, yeah, he's expected to win that fight. Let's just uh, let's just put it that way. Another easy payday for Kamzad this weekend. <laughs> yeah, probably. Might right. might be every fight might be an easy payday for him if he can implement that game plan. Right. And you know, I, I didn't even know who it was until I was talking to uh, Jimmy uh, Manoa, and he was like, Oh, oh man, let me get back to you. My uh, my buddy's about to fight. I'm like, who's fighting next? He was like, comes that man. He's gonna kill it. Watch. He's gonna win it quick. I said, okay. So I, so I went out there and started watching the get fight. And obviously, it happened. I was like, okay. So I'm texting him. I'm like, man, you're right. He's like, dude, he's gonna blow up. This kid is a is a real is an animal. Um, and then I Jimmy's coming back. Man. I think is is he not? He wants to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he said he wants to come back. I was like, you tell Dana that. He's like, yeah, Dana knows. 
<laughs> he's always in exciting like, fights. I'd be happy to see Jimmy Mano welcome back. Oh my goodness, I want to see him fight again. That's what I said. He was like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm ready." You know, and I think he's been training hard, and he's ready for that shot to come back because he said that the last few ones left a really bad taste. So he, he wants to come back. Yeah, nobody likes retiring off a loss. It happens, you know, from time to time, but nobody likes that. Everybody wants to win. The problem is, then you win, and then you're you're like, oh, "I'm good again." Right, I'm gonna... <laughs> you, you keep fighting until you lose. Right, right. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna do another one," and then yeah. you lose. You're like, "Nah, it's a bad taste in my mind. Let me come back." Um, anyway, you were talking about being a big basketball guy, man. Um, you ready for this NBA coming back? Well, I haven't been watching as much in the last couple of years. I mean, I watched the Raptors run because I was always a big Raptors fan. But uh, right. since I've started working on the UFC, it's hard for me to say to my wife, like, I just worked on sports all day and now we're going to watch basketball together. Right. I've got three kids at home, right? So I've had to kind of um, make sure that I'm focused on, on MMA. So as a result of that, I haven't been able to watch much basketball, but I, I used to be just so obsessed with, with the NBA, with the NCAA. I could tell you, um, you know, the top 10 of any draft class, like wow. from like the eighties onwards. And, uh, I just, I, because I'm so in, invested in mixed martial arts now, I, I've right, really right. kind of fallen off, uh, my radar, unfortunately, but I, uh, right. I, I, I loved watching the last dance. I mean, that brought me back to my childhood, watching Jordan on TV, watching magic on TV, you know, right. it's, uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, yeah, I wish I had more time to watch basketball. I just don't. Well, you know, you don't need to because we uh we enjoy your MMA talk. So you, you know, you're good there. I'll I'll fill you in on some MMA, on some basketball news when something happens. I got you. Don't worry. All right. Well, I appreciate um, that. I'm not sure I can still name five players on every team, but uh, honestly, I can name five players most, on most teams. But if you well, throw most a team, at can't me. though. Right. Okay. Well, let's go with the Raptors. Give me five. Well, I can give you five on the Raptors, no problem. But give me any other team, and let me let me see if I can give you five. Okay. Well, well, let me do this though. Do you remember who was the starting five for the Raptors last year in the playoffs? The starting five. Well, I know Van Vliet came off the bench, so that's kind of a technicality. But we had Lowry. Uh, we had Danny Green started most games uh-huh. um, as shooting guard. Um, Norm Powell started some games, but I feel like that's. I know OG and Obi started some games too, and then he got hurt. Oh, actually, he didn't play in the playoffs. He was injured. So you had right. you had Lowry, injured. you had Lowry, you had Norman Powell, I think. You had Danny Green. Uh huh. Um, oh, sorry, no, you had Kawhi at small forward. Kawhi was playing small forward. So Kawhi. Powell was on the bench. So it was Danny Green for for most of the games because Danny Green didn't have a lot of success until uh, until the final. I think I think he fell off during some of them. Um, yeah, he struggled. Yeah. Uh, so then you had, and then a power forward, you had Ibaka. And then at center, you had Marcus Hall. Marcus Hall. If KD was healthy, do you think uh, Raptors still win it? It's hard to know, right? The I mean, whole, if the whole Warriors team was healthy, yeah, I think prob- probably not. Win. I mean, I'll be realistic yeah. about it. Probably not. Right. But, uh, it's hard to say. Who knows? So, I mean, you, you think back to like that Pistons and Lakers series where the Lakers had such a stacked team and the Pistons were just, the Pistons were like the Raptors. Like they had all these kind of like yeah. undrafted late round guys that just meshed really well together. The crazy thing about that Raptor, the makeup of that Raptors team is how few lottery, I don't think they had a single lottery pick on that entire team. Um, OG. Which is, was a, no, I don't think OG was a lottery guy, was he? I think No, was. OG, I don't think OG was taken in the lottery. No. No, I don't think so. I, oh. I can look it up. I got my computer here, but I'm pretty sure OG was like in the 20s, or maybe the like I, maybe like uh, 18 yeah. or something. He was the 23rd oh. pick. Yeah, 23rd pick. Really? Yeah. So oh, I don't wow. think they had a single uh, lottery player lottery on that entire pick. team. Yeah. Which is yeah. unbelievable because that you that was always the way you build your teams. You get like you tank and you get like three straight years, and you'd end up with like uh, Harden, Durant, and Westbrook on the same team, and then you're like you're good. <laughs> but the, well, the Raptors <laughs> didn't have that. 
Well, I mean, they have Kawhi, so if, if, <laughs> Kawhi wasn't the lottery yeah, pick. Kawhi was. No, I don't was think Kawhi, not? I think Kawhi was like seventeen or something. Let me look it up. Maybe, I have I the luxury was... of having a computer with me. I, I, I'm pretty sure Kawhi was not a lottery pick. He was traded for George Hill on draft George. day. Right. He was fifteen, right. so he was just outside the lottery. He's on the uh, cusp. But it was a, okay. Yeah, it was. It was outside of it, man. But that was a stack team, though. That was a, a lot of tough-minded players. So uh, you know. I'm a big Kawhi fan because they they call me Kawhi when I go play basketball. Are you you're, you're sure. rangy. I'm not sure. Got, I'm not. You even, got a long wingspan. No, I think I just hack and foul everybody on defense. Okay. Uh, well, so Kawhi I, doesn't do that. Kawhi doesn't foul guys. Kawhi's just, he's, he's 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 just all he's like a blanket. Oh, they all foul. They just don't call it. Yeah, yeah they call. It. They don't call it. But yeah, but that's why he's foul. so good. Yeah, he, it's like, like people LeBron. don't even notice. Exactly. LeBron fires you every time. And then he act like he hasn't. And then they don't call it. And this is, yeah, they always act. He talks to yeah, the ref. And the ref gets scared of him. Right. You think LeBron's the best player in the basketball? Right now? Right now? Um, I don't think so. But I, I mean, I yeah. think, I think he's a top, a top three guy all time. But okay. I don't, I don't know if he's the best right now. I mean, look at Giannis. Like Giannis might, is probably the best right now. If I, if I had to pick somebody. Yeah, but, uh, I think I think LDKD is the best. LDKD. Yeah, uh, I think when LDKD, I, I just the man just does things that no one else is doing. So, but Giannis is definitely for me. Giannis is probably right there behind KD. Then I will put LeBron. Then I'll put Kawhi for. Yeah, and Giannis then, is just such a weird player. Like I've never seen anything like him in all my years covering, ba- like watching basketball, covering right. basketball. Like he's he's just. He's just such a different kind of player. Like he's he's like if you took Oscar Robertson and put him in like a six foot eleven body, like whatever seven feet tall body. Like it's right, it's just or, or Jason Kidd and put him in that kind of body. It's like right with oh, even more know, with even more athletic gifts. He's just just a freak freak athlete. You know yeah. who showed out last night? Uh, Bo Bo. What is it like seven foot something? Like a he played like a guard. Bo Bo Bo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, showed out. You have what sixteen, ten, and six blocks. Oh really? Wow, good for him. Yeah, that's yeah, Manute Paul's yeah. son. Yeah, exactly. Right, just looked like his dad, legs, arms, everything shipped to Sam. <laughs> I like how Manute Paul was always known for like hitting threes, and he hit yeah. like twenty percent of them. <laughs> it's just everybody always shows the highlights of him hitting them because, like, you see a guy who's right. seven seven shooting threes, and it's right. like this remarkable thing. Right. If you do that now, you would never play again. Like your coach is not going to let you get out there again. If you do that. No, I don't. Now. I don't agree with you because when I watch the NBA now, this is the biggest difference for me when I watch the NBA now versus like ten years ago. People take okay. idiotic shots all the time in the NBA now. Like stuff like hand in their face. They're just chucking stuff from from half court. Like if you would have taken shots back then, you would have been benched for the game. And that and yeah, like the flow of the game now, it's so back and forth and it's so frenetic and so fast. And people are just taking shots from everywhere. But back like Absolutely. back like 10, 15 years ago, like your coach would be like, "What are you doing?" And they'd be on the bench for the rest of the game. But like the, yeah, the, but the players know, have so much Steph more Curry allowance. Now. Yeah, but Steph Curry started well, that phenomenon though. When Steph oh, started sure. taking shots, the next thing you know, everybody's doing it. So now guys are shooting threes with hands in the face. I mean, Dem Lillard took, I think, over a hundred shots from close to half last year. Doing and the they're game. hitting them, and they're hitting and them. They hit them, right? It's crazy. So it's kind of hard to to tell the guys to stop shooting it because if you're gonna hit 35 percent from there, you might as well keep shooting it. Well, I think that the theory has changed in the fact that like people are valuing volume over like precision because if you right. shoot. Like if you can get up four shots in a minute, as opposed right. to two shots in a minute and shooting fifty percent, right. if you can get four shots up in a minute and shoot thirty three percent, like you're, 
you're going to be putting up more points over the course of the game with less accuracy, but then everybody else is following that same template and the game's just getting really fast. And I love watching it still. I just don't have a lot of time to do it. Right, but uh, right. I just, I just, when I watch it now, I'm just amazed at the kind of shots people are taking because it's yeah. so different from when I used to, when I used to follow it more closely. Yeah, it used to be a grind. Remember that Piston team you mentioned? I remember uh, being a Pacers fan. I mean, if you can score 70 on the Pacers, you, you, you had a good day. Uh, right, Pacers yeah. and Pacers used to keep teams at 60, 60 point for a whole game. Yeah. You know, you'd be lucky to score 60 on the bad, uh, that Pistons team with Ben Wallace and, yeah, exactly. Rip. Yeah, Chauncey Billups. Yeah. Right. And then you got the Pacers with Ron Artez and Reggie and, you know, uh, who else we have? I mean, Steven Jackson. Uh, yeah. You know, Jamal Tinsley. Score, yeah, Jamal with, Tinsley. With double doubles every game. <laughs> I used to love Jamal Tinsley. Play? Jamal Tinsley. I had a Jamal Tinsley jersey. I used to love that guy. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was Him great. And TJ Ford. Ford. Yeah, TJ Ford was nice. Yeah, I thought TJ would have a better NBA career than he did, but college doesn't always tell you what somebody's going to do with the pros, you know? Yeah, and he, he kept getting hurt, but he was so good in college. Like, he got he into college basketball. Like, I became a Longhorns fan watching him because he was so much fun to watch. Right. Nah, college basketball is great, man. I love it. Watch it every, uh, every year. We all love that. Um, yeah, we just damn, need to start paying these so guys. Much, uh, absolutely, man. Hey, thanks so much for coming to the show today. I really appreciate it. Hey, before you go, uh, can you talk about your podcast again so everybody can actually go out there and Tune in and start listening to that. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's called the TSN MMA Show. Um, and it's myself and uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who's one of the best uh, kickboxers in the world. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was the welterweight champion. Now he's a coach. And uh, we talk we talk about everything in uh, mixed martial arts, combat sports, right. uh, under the sun. We, we try to have good debates about uh, the different uh, hot button topics of, of the week. Uh, have a lot of interviews with some of the top stars. Like this week, we have Robert Whitaker, Darren Till on. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun show. I love doing it. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter, if uh, you want to check out my coverage of the sport. Absolutely, man. I enjoy listening to it, and I'll keep listening to it because I definitely learn a lot uh, just hearing you talk about, you know, how you break down the fights and who won what and what the scores were. So that was that was great. So I definitely enjoyed it. Hey, Aaron, thanks again for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, uh, Johnny, anytime. Would you like to uh, say something else mean to Rashad before we get off? Yeah, where where is where is Rashad? What was more important than coming and talking to me exactly. today that he right. couldn't do? I don't know. It's He's just it's just disappointing, really. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Absolutely. Listen, this man has like twenty thousand skills. He's always fixing something in the house, so he's probably out there working around like a plumber right now. Well, he should be fixing his headphones so that way. next time I'm on, he. <laughs> it really should be, man. Absolutely, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. You've been listening to the Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.